You know, whenever I, I think of a song like that, you know, even so come, Lord Jesus, I always think, are we ready? You know, are we ready for his coming? And to me, being ready for his coming really boils down to two things. Is my life holy, sanctified by Christ? Am I walking with Christ? Is my relationship with Christ good? And then the other thing is, have I brought all the people into the kingdom that God has called me to bring into the kingdom? Uh, have I gone into all the world and, and shared the gospel? And I'm not quite done that second part. That's still, the first part's not perfect either. <laughs> but but working on both those things at the same time. And, uh, and I, apparently, God's not done the second part. Or the first part, I think. <laughs> His desire is for the world to be reconciled unto himself. And that's why his, his coming is delayed. And he's waiting for all the number of the Gentiles and the Jews to be brought in till he comes. Um, anyways, that's not the topic I want to talk about today. Just thought, thought I'd share that. Let's just ask God to bless us as we open his word. We're looking at uh, Galatians chapter 6, uh, verse 14. And uh, so let's just pray. Father, we... we dedicate this time to you we ask lord that your spirit would open our hearts so that we might hear what the spirit says to the church today i pray lord that you would give us a really clear understanding of these deep truths lord i pray that you would anoint me that i might speak lord this this topic is beyond me lord it's it's mysterious it's uh transcendent and yet it's so vital for our lives and so, Father, I pray that you would anoint me so that I might speak your word in power and in truth, and that you would take over and speak truths this morning that are of a spiritual nature to our hearts. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So George Truett was a, is a famous preacher of yesteryear, and uh, one day he was invited to uh, a rich oilman's farm. And so he... or, or in Texas, so it's massive, right? So he goes to this rich guy's house. They have this wonderful dinner. And after dinner, the the oilman takes uh, George Truett out to the back behind the house, kind of on a bit of a hill, and have a good view of all the land surrounding them. And he says, see, see all those oil uh, derricks out there? Yeah, yeah. Well, 25 years ago, I didn't own a thing. But now, as far as you can see, all those air oil derricks, they're all mine. And, oh, and, and over here, check this out. See all those fields of grain over there waving in the, in the breeze? Those are all mine, too. Uh, oh, and <laughs> over here, see all those cattle? Uh, you know, as far as you can see, that's all mine, too. And, and yeah, the forest? Yeah, that's all mine, too. And he's kind of expecting... George Truett to be impressed. And George Truett only said, yeah, and, and so what do you own in that direction? <laughs> what do you own in that direction? Ah, probably a pertinent question. Uh, what do we own in that direction? You know, we humans, we love to talk about the things we own the things we've accomplished, the, you know, whatever measure of flame, fame that we can lay claim to, we like to talk about that, you know, or we'll even boast about the achievements of our kids as if it has anything to do, you know, like my kid, you know, he's so smart, blah, 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 and he won this award and that award. Yeah, I'm guilty. Uh, it's kind of sad, actually, you know, don't have enough to boast about ourselves, so we boast about our kids, right? <laughs> But I think almost every parent does it. It's, uh, and I'm definitely not immune to boasting. In fact, I'm pretty sure that some of the stories I tell from the, from the pulpit, there's probably some boasting and some pride in those too. And, uh, you know, we're, we're not immune to it. We, we like others to think highly of ourselves. Um, but in our verse today, Paul says this, May I never boast except in the cost of our Lord, uh, in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. May I never boast except there's one boast that we can boast about, and it's in a cross. 
It's a kind of a strange boast, actually, when you think about it. A cross is a picture of torture to death. You know, what do you think of people torturing other people to death? Is that something that you go, oh, yeah, that, that's a, I'm good with that? No, it's not really something we're good with. That's kind of like inhumane and, and horrible. And yet, we wear it around our necks. We put it up on our behind me here. We got it on the top of the steeple up there. And we're proud of it. We're proud of this torturing measure. What? It actually doesn't make any sense. And yet, that's what Paul says. That's what I'm going to boast about. I am going to wear it around my neck. I am going to put it on the top of the steeple. I'm going to boast about this torture method. Wow. But we realize that it's not the cross, it's what happened on the cross. It's the fact that Jesus bled and died, and we're going to celebrate communion. In fact, this whole sermon is about communion. It's all about Jesus bleeding and dying on the cross to save us, to rescue us. Otherwise, we would be damned to hell. Otherwise, we, our lives would be meaningless. But because of God's surpassingly great love towards us, He went to the cross and died for our sins. In the cross, we have redemption through His blood. Forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Amen? Amen. So even though it's a horrible picture, a horrible image, what we understand it to do for us is amazing. It's amazing grace. And so we glory in the cross, in this horrible instrument of death. You may wonder why we celebrate communion every month. Why do we do it? We repeat this ceremony all the time. It's to remind us of the central thing in Christendom, the cross of Jesus Christ and his death for us. You know, the, the Bible says that the Jews look for a sign and, and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. What a horrible thing to preach. But that's what we preach because it's our glory and it's our salvation. Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews. They're like, how can Christ be crucified? He's supposed to be our Messiah. And, and it says foolishness to the Gentiles. They're like, how does this work? Somebody dying? How does that make sense? See, the, the Gentiles didn't understand the lamb and the sacrificial system that the Jews did. So the, the Jews could understand the picture of Christ dying on the cross. They just didn't think their Messiah was coming that way. And the Gentiles, they just didn't get it. They didn't get this whole idea that you have to have a sacrifice and how that all worked. But to those whom God has called, in other words, to the Christians, that it all makes sense to, that God implies, imparts wisdom to understand that Jesus died on the cross to save sinners like us. And all we need to do is put our faith in the cross, in Christ, and we will be saved. To those people, it's the wisdom of God. Both Greeks, Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human wisdom. So God takes this horrible image of a cross, of this thing of torture, and he makes it the center point of the Christian faith and says, this is where we go. 1 Corinthians 1 goes on to say, God chooses the lowly things of this world, the despised thing. You know, anyone that was nailed to a cross, it says the Bible cursed them. And Jesus was cursed for us. The, The cross is a horrible image. It's a lowly thing, a despised thing. But God used it to nullify the things that were. That is our sinfulness. He's wiped away our sinfulness through the cross so that no one may boast before him in other words nobody can say hey i've lived a good life so i so god's going to accept me into heaven baloney nobody gets to heaven by living a good life and if you think so you're sadly mistaken 
In fact, the whole book of Galatians is all about, it's written to the Judaizers who think, who thought that they had to earn something for salvation. They had to at least get circumcised. At least have to do that. And Paul just flatly says, no, absolutely not. There's nothing you can do to earn salvation. Salvation is a free gift through faith in Jesus Christ. And when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, guess what happens? He puts his spirit in us. And that spirit wants to behave and live according to God's principles. And that's why Christians behave differently once they've come to Christ than they did before. It's not because they're trying to earn some salvation. It's because they've already received the salvation and now they, out of gratitude, live to serve their Lord. What an awesome thing. And then Paul says, so that no one may boast because of their good deeds before the Lord. And what do we boast in? Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. And that's really what Paul is saying in this whole, in, first, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 14. He's really saying, we need to boast about the cross of Christ. We need to boast in the Lord. And I wonder, how's it going? How's your boasting going? About the one thing the Bible says you're allowed to boast about. How's that going? Do your neighbors know that you're so proud that you're following a crucified Lord? Do your neighbors know about what it means that Christ died on the cross? Do your colleagues at, at, at work know? Do your, your friends at school know that Jesus died on the cross? Do we boast about the crucifixion? You know, my son was, was having a, well, he says his group of friends, there are a couple, a couple, one Jewish guy, an atheist, and a bunch of Muslims, another Christian, and they're having this big debate, you know. And he was trying to get his words in edgewise, you know, but it wasn't going so well. But trying to put in the fact that, no, a death is needed for salvation. It's not just good works. That's not what it's about. Somebody has to pay for our sins. And Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power... See, there I was just boasting about my kid again. Sheesh. It wasn't in my notes. <laughs> uh, but Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. And you know, my son said to me, it was very tough to have three or four Muslim friends all explaining to their atheist friends what they believed and trying to get his part in. It's very difficult. But are we ashamed of the gospel or do we boast about the gospel? That's the question, right? That's what challenges us as believers. Are we proud of the fact that our leader died on a cross? That's what Paul's challenging us to think about today. <clears throat> We need to proclaim it from the rooftops. But let's just go back a second. Uh, uh, Romans, or first Galatians, <laughs> right book. Galatians 6, verse 14 is in a context. And so we want to just have a look at the context. In verses 12 to 15, there's this context of, of what Paul is talking, where this verse finds itself in, the middle of. And we're only going to be focusing on the verse, and it's the underlying part. But what do you notice about this? What have I highlighted? This discussion is all about circumcision. So if you've been tracking with us for the last few months, we've been going through the book of Galatians. And the book of Galatians was really written about this subject. It's written to a bunch of people who had allowed some people called the Judaizers to come in and infiltrate their ranks and say, oh, oh yeah, it's fine to believe in Jesus and his death on the cross, but you also need to be circumcised. You need to become like one of God's people by being circum circumcised. And Paul is just flatly saying, no, absolutely not. There's nothing else beyond believing in Jesus Christ that you need to do. And certainly some ceremonial cutting of the flesh is not going to do, gain you anything before God. It doesn't do us a thing for you. And so whenever we think that a ceremony 
brings us closer to God or, or needs to be done in order for us to get to God, we're mistaken. And even the, the ceremony of communion or baptism, these definitely help us get to, closer to God because our thoughts are connecting with God and through these symbols and through these actions. But don't think that the actions themselves somehow have merit in and of themselves. The actions bring us to the reality of Christ. And that's why Christ instituted them. And, and yet the actions themselves do not gain merit before God. God loves it when we connect with him. And we call this, this meal the communion meal. Why? Because God is at the table. And he says, come and enjoy this table with me. Enjoy this feast. My flesh is truly food and my blood is truly drink come and let's fellowship let's celebrate this crucifixion together that's what this meal is about it's about celebrating the horror of a crucifixion wow it's hard to wrap our heads around that and yet it's through this crucifixion that we have gained so much and that's why we we celebrate it So from this context, you can see that um, Paul was challenging the Judaizers. They, they were boasting. They, see right in verse 12, those who want to impress people. They're saying, hey, I'm circumcised. So I, you know, I'm good with God. What about you? Are you circumcised? Yeah, it's kind of a weird question, I know. But it's, that's what they were doing. And they were calling people to get circumcised. And, and, and then they were kind of, it seems, from the, the context, they're trying to compel you to be circumcised. It seems like they're, you know, I got another one. I got another one. What? That seems like what was happening here. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure. Um, but they were boasting about the people that they had brought into this group of the circumcision. They want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. You see that? And there was this, I don't know if it was a contest going on or what, but there was something prideful about it. And Paul says, I will never boast about anything like that. You know, as, pa- as a pastor, and I, I know this because I hang around with pastors, it's very easy for pastors to feel prideful about the numbers of people that attend their church. And it's a sad, sad thing. And Paul is just saying, no, I never boast about that. That's ridiculous. And yet, when I see numbers growing, I'm, I feel like I, I have something to do with that. And, and pride is scratching at the door. And it's part of the old nature that needs to be crucified. And David got in so much trouble for counting the the fighting men. And a plague hit. And we need to be very careful about this whole pride thing. Let's boast about one thing and one thing only. Amen? We boast about Christ. That's what we're all about. Those who are trying to want, you know, and and maybe we have something else that that we boast about today. and might not be circumcision. But it might be something else. How many people come into my prayer group? How many, how, how many of my kids are walking with the Lord? You know, praise God. How many uh, souls I've saved? How many people I've led to the Lord so far? You know, and we've got a tally. And all those things can actually be boastful. How many cars I have? Come, I, I fall into, I'm a car guy. When people get a new car and they say, hey, come look at my car, I... I, I I stroke them a little bit. Sorry, you know. I, <laughs> oh, wow, really nice, you know. And it's part of our culture. We do it, but is it right to be so proud of the the new possession we have, or the new house? You know, you buy a new house and you want to show everybody. Yeah, it's things we have to be careful for. Things we have to be careful about. We need to boast about one thing. but Paul doesn't stop in our verse Paul doesn't stop with the crucifixion of Christ he talks about two other crucifixions you you know that there's three crucifixions in that one verse that we're reading 
Uh, and the first one is talking about the cross of Christ, the crucifixion of Christ. But then he says, may I never stop, may I never boast except in the cross of Christ, or the cross of the, our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me, that's the second crucifixion, and I to the world. That's the third crucifixion. There's three crucifixions talking about here, and we're going to kind of get into this. What does Paul mean by these other crucifixions? Uh, but before I go to these other two crucifixions, I want you to notice that the world being crucified to us and we being crucified to the world happens where? It happens at the foot of the cross of Christ. It's through Christ. Now, Christ was crucified 2,000 years ago. And somehow, 2,000 years ago, when Christ died on the cross, that's when we died also. Now, I know it's, it didn't happen 2,000 years ago when you came to the end of yourself and you asked Christ to come into your heart. But when you understood what happened to Jesus Christ on that cross 2,000 years ago, and you believed and put your faith in that cross for your salvation, what happened was the world was crucified to you through that cross of Christ. And through that cross of Christ, you were crucified to the world. And now we're going to talk about what that means. So somehow you were united with Christ's crucifixion in a, in a transcendental way. In a supernatural way, you were united with Christ and you died with Christ there and the world died to you there on the cross. Like I said at the beginning, it's, it's metaphysical. It's beyond physics. It's about the spiritual world and somehow we were spiritually connected with Jesus Christ when he died on the cross. It's through the cross. And so the first point of my message has been I am boasting in the cross, Right? And, and the second point is that the world is crucified to me. Now, what does it mean that the world is crucified to me? What, what does that really mean? It's kind of a weird way of saying it. Now, so first of all, we want to, want to say uh, what the world is. Huh, I'm missing part of my notes. What's the next slide? I'll get it off the slide. Uh, next slide. So in, in 1 John 2, John kind of spells it out, what the world is. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. And the world and its desires pass away. So he's saying, basically what he's talking about here, um, that we're crucified to the world, is the lust of the flesh. You know, the desires we, we want, want to have things that... That, I mean, lust uh, uh, for, for maybe a, a woman or a man that your heart's drawn to that doesn't belong to you, that's lust. That's the lust of the flesh. Lust of the flesh can also include a desire for a Porsche or a Lamborghini or whatever. Uh, yeah, my problem. Uh, lust of the, of the eyes can be, you know, lusting after all kinds of things. The pride of life, we already talked about that boasting about what we can do and, 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 uh, and what we have. And Paul said, and John says, that's not of God. <laughs> None of that stuff. And so that stuff is dead to us. All that the world has to offer, the riches, the, the, uh, pro, the, the, the fame, the, the pleasure, it's all the world and that's all dead to us. It's kind of like, you know, when, when your kids have toys when they're young, right? And they're battery-powered toys, right? And they're having fun with the toy. And then the battery goes dead. And what, what does the kid do with it? They're no longer interested in that. It doesn't whirl and, and tweet and there aren't lights going around. It's, it's not fun anymore, so... Kind of cast it aside. I don't know if you remember these uh, these hex bugs things. You remember these things? My kids loved these things uh, for a very short period of time, because you see that one in the middle there? It's kind of not going. In. That's what happened to theirs after a little while, and and it was fun watching them for about ten minutes, and then they got tired of them. And then when the battery quit, did we replace the battery? Did we replace the battery, Aaron? No, never did. <laughs> And then what? It's just a hunk of plastic sitting on a shelf. It's, it's 
are you interested in the thing? No. I mean, you know, besides, he's grown up. You know, it's dead to him. It died. The battery died. It's dead. It's, I don't have any interest in that. In fact, we have in our basement, uh, you can turn it off now. <laughs> Tired of looking at these. We have in our basement, if this guy will come out of my pocket, a whole pile of these bionicles, like a whole pile I'm talking about, you know. Ay, ay, ay. Stay, stay, Mr. Bionicle. There's a whole closet full of these in the room that my sons are in all the time. My sons used to love these things. They'd build them hour after hour, stack them, have them pitch battles on the, ca- on the dining room table and down in the basement. There'd be all these guys running around, and, and they, they loved them. Guess what? They haven't opened the box. They haven't looked at this thing. They haven't touched it for years. Why? Ah, they're dead to toys. Boring. <laughs> they're dead to me. They have no interest. Then they don't even open the closet. It, there's a closet this tall, this wide, like this, filled with toys. They haven't opened it in, de- in well, not, maybe not decades, but not, definitely not years. Just haven't opened. Not interested. They're dead to that. And that's what Paul's talking about. That's what ought to have happened when we were crucified with Christ. We be, the, the world became dead to us. We're just not interested in that stuff anymore. It's, it doesn't hold any... Eh, there's, no, there's no desire for it. Now, now sometimes, some adults kind of hang on a little to their childhood, right? And maybe you've met one or two. In fact, just a couple weeks ago, I was, I was in this guy's house. He's my age. And he said, oh, you gotta, i got to show you my collection. And I'm like, oh, okay. I heard about this collection. And, and so I went into this a whole room full of Hot Wheels cars. Okay, the little, the little matchbox cars, you know. Whole room packed. Like, like there's, there's, he's got, he pulls out drawers, and they're, they're just stacks and stacks. And then he opens the closet. It's absolutely jam-packed. And I said, how many do you think you have here? He says, i got about 7,000. And I said, wow, why do you have so many? I said, I like collecting them all. I want them all. And I said, well, how many are you missing? Oh, a couple of dozen. Well, why don't you have those? Oh, well, I can't afford those. And I'm like, what do you mean you can't afford those? Well, they're all over $1,000, every one of them. <laughs> you can pay. You know what the most expensive Hot Wheels car sold for? It's a Volkswagen Vanagon or, the, or the, the microbus with, you know, specially painted, I don't know, some special deal. $140,000! That's more than the most expensive real microbus, Volkswagen microbus that's ever been sold. 20000 more than the most expensive fixed up. Uh, <laughs> crazy! I'm just like, what? That's just, that just blew my brains, right? Anyways, just pointing out that this guy loves it, right? And, and I'm not trying to bash him in any way. But it's kind of like he didn't let go of that childish thing. You know, maybe he didn't read the verse, you know. When I was a child, I talked like a child. When I, I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Maybe he didn't imply that verse. I don't know. Uh, I'm not trying to bash him. Uh, the thing is that we often act the same way when it comes to the things of this world. And we go, I, I don't want to be dead to that thing. I kind of like having wealth. I kind of like, uh, you know, en- enjoying myself. I kind of like the pleasures of life. I, and so I'm, I'm struggling with that. And most adults don't struggle with, with toys, you know, having a desire for toys, although I do struggle a little with playing games on the Internet. Um, but that's the big difference. These things still have their hooks in us. The world still has their hooks in us, and we're not crucified to the world. And God calls us to be crucified to the world. In fact, we were crucified to the world. For most of us, 
me included. I loved Hot Wheels as a kid. In fact, I did a little research this morning on which Hot Wheels are the most expensive ones. And I had two of them. The Red Baron thing and the Mad Max. I had no idea that they were worth a lot of money. I remember distinctly having the Mad Max. And apparently it was a, a mistake and it was printed on the bottom of the car and it shouldn't have been there because it was copyrighted by another company and now it's worth a pile of money. And I'm like, ah, oh well, I don't really care. Because Hot Wheels are dead to me. They were something I played with as a kid. I wish I could play the same way as I did back then, but it doesn't really work anymore. You know? It just doesn't do it for me. You know? <laughs> but, but Paul says, the world's dead to me. It just doesn't do it for him. He has no desire to act like that anymore. He's dead to that. How about you? You know, when I think... Uh, and Paul said this, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. I don't know if I have a slide for that. but um, what, what are you setting your mind on? My friend over here, uh, he set his mind on Hot Wheels. It's not, not a bad thing. It's fine. But in the context of what we're dead to, we ought not to have our minds set on the things of this world. We rather should be throwing it out. You know, I praise God, and, and this is not a boast. It's just a reality that the things of this world are crucified to me. Many of them are. Lying, stealing, they're dead to me. I, I don't have any desire to take... Well, once in a while it creeps up in me. And I plan out how I would rob a bank. But that's just my private little insane world. I don't know why I do that. There's really no desire in me to rob a bank. I mean, this is weird. Why do I say things like that anyways? <laughs> you guys don't need that much insight into your pastor. But lying and stealing, they have no, absolutely no interest to me. I'm, I'm not, they're dead to me. Swearing and drinking and doing drugs, coarse jokes, extramarital affairs, they're just dead to me. I, I just like, I'm not interested in that. I don't have, nothing in me draws me to those things. They're, they're just dead to me. These things have no pull in my life. They are crucified to me. And how, how come they're crucified to me, all these things that so many people do and enjoy? They're dead to me because in Christ I died and the world was crucified to me long ago when I accepted Christ as my Savior. Unfortunately, there are a few things still left that pull my heart from the world. And they are things I need to still work on to crucify the world to me. And uh, even though it happened long ago when I became a Christian, they're still kicking around. It's kind of like, you know, my Monty Python sketch, sketch uh, the Holy Grail, where, where they're bringing the cart around and the guy's yelling, you know, bring out your dead, bring out your dead. And, and people are lo loading, you know, this is during the Black Plague, and they're, they're loading bodies onto this cart. And, and, and one guy gets loaded on, and, and suddenly you hear, I'm not quite dead yet. <laughs> and the guy takes a hammer and whacks him on the head, and, and off they go. <laughs> you know, it's kind of sick humor, but, but, but it's kind of like that in our life, isn't it? And the old man is like, I'm not quite dead yet. I'd kind of like you to enjoy that sight of that woman partially dressed over there. Can we just take another look? And the old man is still kicking around down there. And he's not quite dead yet. We've tried to crucify him, but he keeps rearing his ugly head. So what do we do about that? Well, I think... There's another crucifixion that needs to take place, and that's the crucifixion of us. Not just the world needs to be crucified to us, but we need to be crucified to the world. That's why I called this twice crucified. We need to be twice crucified. The world has to be dead to us, and we need to be dead to the world. And sometimes that not-quite-dead guy is still kicking around. 
Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. This is the second time he's referred to this. In Galatians 2, 20, he says, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. It's kind of like, uh, you know, when, when you, you know, in my computer, I had a, a, a battery from Apple, right, in my computer. And it died after about four years. No surprise. And so, uh, you know, they, basically people are saying, well, you should buy a new computer. And I'm like, I'm not buying a new computer. It's just a dead battery, you know. It, it lasts for about 15 minutes. And that was it, you know. So what did I do? I did some research, and I found a battery for cheaper than Apple was selling them, but it had more milliamps. It was better. And now my computer lasts longer than it did when I first bought it. It lasts for about 12 hours. It's awesome. And, and I put this thing in, and it was great. And you know what? That's what we have to do. We have to take out the old battery and crucify it. That old self needs to die. And then put in the new battery, Jesus Christ. He's better than the Energizer Bunny. He keeps going, I'm telling you. And when God comes in your life, he changes your life from the inside out. And he makes that desire for the world. He says, no, that's not part of this new battery. This new powerhouse you have, it doesn't do that anymore. Take the hammer and knock out that old man. Be done with him. And you're under new management. It's like being under new management. Do you remember what Jesus said? Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. This interesting thing about this death to Christ, and in a minute I'm going to show you that this, that you died with Christ. Past tense. But guess what? Jesus said, yeah, but you got to pick it up every day. You got to pick up your cross every day. This is not just something that happened in the past. Yes, it happened in the past when you became a believer. But today there's something you need to do. And that is pick up your cross today. And so today's cross might be uh, suffering for Christ, being mocked for Christ. Today's cross might be uh, saying no to temptation that's driving you crazy. That might be today's cross. And we need to pick that up. Jesus says, pick up your cross daily and follow me. You know, when you think about that, that's a crazy statement. Do you remember Jesus walking down the Via Della Rosa with the cross on his back? If you've ever seen videos or heard about it, they see a man tortured, whip, his back is all ripped to shreds, and he's carrying that brutally heavy cross. And he can't bear the weight of it. And he falls down, and they finally give it to somebody else. The cross is a horrible thing to bear, but Christ calls us to do that every day. And so we might have a desire to say, you know what, I'm going to go find someone else to love. And Christ said, no, I've called you to love one person. You might say, well, I, I'm going to go and uh, you know, get drunk because I've had a really bad day. And Christ said, no, I've called you to be holy and not to let anything uh, take control over your life. And you might, well, there's a million things that are calling for us, and we need to go, no, I'm going to take the difficult road. I'm going to say no, and I'm going to do what's right by God, and I'm going to follow Him, and that's taking up our cross daily and following Christ. It's not an easy thing. It'll bring us joy in the end, as the cross of Christ brought Christ joy. But going through it, no, not joyful at all. <clears throat> if there's anything that's a polar opposite to ourself, it's the cross and willingly going. You know, it's interesting. Jesus said, he, the Bible says that Jesus set his face resolutely towards Jerusalem. And the King James, I think, says like a flint. He set his face like a flint, hard as rock. Just, I'm going to do this. I'm determined. And you know what? That's how we need to take up our cross. Be determined and say, no matter what happens, this is what I shall do, God helping me. I am going to persevere. I am going to say no to my sinful self. I'm going to crucify that man, and I'm going to pursue the things that God calls me to do. In the cost of discipleship, Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote this. 
The cross is laid on every Christian. As we embark upon discipleship, we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with his death. We give over our lives to death. And we say, it's not my life, I'm dead to the world, I'm dead to pleasure, I'm dead to doing things my way. I follow Christ, period. The cross is not a terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life. But it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. You know, Paul said, you know, I fellowship in the sufferings of Christ. What do you mean by that? He meant that he was being crucified daily. Every time he got beat up, stoned, whipped, shipwrecked, he said, hey, I'm just filling up in my body the marks of Christ. This is, this is what it means to be a Christian. I'm totally fine with that because I'm dead to self. I'm already dead. What, can, what more can they do to me? And he would keep going. <clears throat> we have been made a new creature, a new creation. <clears throat> so in Galatians 2, verse 20, if we could have that up on the, on the screen. When, when was this crucifixion, when did this take place? What does it say? What are the words used? I have been. English students, what tense is that? Past tense, that's right. I have been. But Christ and I no longer live. What what tense is that? Present tense. Now. Christ, but Christ lives in me. So something happened long ago. I was crucified, but now Christ is living in me. And uh, and you know, I'd like you to turn in in your Bibles um, to Romans chapter six. I didn't want to put the whole chapter up on the screen, and I'm going to kind of read through most of the, a big chunk of the chapter, Romans chapter 6. So pull it out in your phone or your Bible or whatever. And I want you to notice, because Romans 6 talks about this whole experience of being crucified with Christ. And what I want you to notice is the tense of the verbs as we read it, okay? So just I'm just going to read it. Um, what should we say then? Should we go on sinning so that grace may increase? And, of course, he says, by no means. We died to sin. What tense? Past. That's past. Whoever said present, sorry. Died is past tense. (laughs) How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were were baptized, were baptized, that's past tense, right? Into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death. So he's saying that, you know, at one point, when, when we baptize people here in the baptismal tank, we take them and I get them to fold their hands as if they're in a coffin and I shove them down under the water as if they're buried under, in the grave, right? Why? It's because that's the picture of what happens when they accepted Christ into their life. They died with Christ. They died to the world. They no longer, uh, because, because their old man was crucified, no longer has interest in the world. Uh, we were therefore buried, past tense, with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live, not lived. We too may live. Now all of a sudden it's present tense. So he's saying this crucifixion happened in the past so that today we might live, present tense. If we have been united with him, that's past tense, in his death, we will, future tense, be united with him in his resurrection. So we know that someday we're going to rise with Christ because he rose from the dead. But also the resurrection Christ is, is living in us. That's what helps us to live today. For we know that our old self was crucified, past tense, with him, so that the body of sin might be done away with. That's present tense. Did you see that? He keeps switching between... What happened in the past is the crucifixion. What happens today is that the body of sin is done away with. And we should no longer be slaves to sin. That's today. What happened in your past when you accepted Christ is that you were crucified. Today, you have power to live a holy life. Because anyone who has died, past tense, is free from sin. You don't see that thing. It's not got any power in it. 
Uh, maybe it's behind the chairs now. But this guy, you don't see him actively moving around because he's dead. There's no life in him. And same with our old man, and we have to understand that. That happened in the past tense. Now, if we died with Christ, past tense, we believe that we will also live with him. Uh, Will is present tense. We live with him today. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, past tense, he cannot die again, present tense. Death no longer has mastery over him. Death, he died. He died to sin once for all. The point he's making is that we die with Christ once for all, past tense. When, we, when I call you to this communion table to understand your death in Christ, I'm calling you to remember something, that you're dead to sin, that you were crucified, that the world was crucified to you, past tense. And therefore, we live present tense with that reality. And we need to get that straight in our noggins because we keep thinking, oh, I haven't quite died with Christ yet. No, 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 no. The Bible says... You did it. It's done. Now you have to live in reference to that death. Um, but the life he lives, he lives to God. And so, and here's the key, folks. Verse 11. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin. Here's a present action that we're supposed to do. It's something we do right now, right today. This is not the part that was done long ago. The counting ourselves dead to sin is what what Paul calls us to do right now. You were crucified with Christ. Now, okay, I'm belaboring the point, (laughs) but you get it, right? Count yourself dead to sin and count yourself alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your body. Just, just like my friend is, is allowing a toy to have a big piece in his life, which is not a bad thing, um, but what is a bad thing is if we let sin reign in our life. If we allow it to just sit there and fester, that's a bad thing. And the Bible is very clear. We died to that. We're done with that. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. I hope you're getting this. It's very clear that we were crucified in the past when we believed in Christ. And now God is calling us to live with that recognition. So when you're tempted to sin, what do you do? Hey, that's not me. I'm not that guy anymore. That guy's dead. He was crucified with Christ. I'm a new man. I'm a different person now. And I live for God. I set my, you know, as Romans uh, 8 says, whoever lives by the Spirit has to set their mind on the things of the Spirit. And those who live by the flesh set their minds on the thing of the flesh. It's a decision we make with our brains, folks. What are we setting our minds to? And when we, uh, you know, don't read our Bibles, we're not fellowshipping with Christ, we're not praying, we're not walking in the Spirit, our minds will automatically be back with the dead man. Eh, Not quite dead yet. Not quite dead yet. I still want to do some things. But when we focus on our relationship with Christ, and in Christ, the fruit of the Spirit come out of our life naturally. And it's a powerful thing. So it's an old story of a, about an African convert. He, uh, he, he converted to Christianity, and he was given a, a position of trust by the missionaries in, in, uh, in the country where he was. But he violated that trust, and he stole something, something that belonged to the mission. And he was caught. And the missionary came along and said, Why did you take something that didn't belong to you? And the native replied, It wasn't I who stole it. It was the grandfather in my bones. It's the old man. There's some other being at war with my spiritual being in me. And Paul says, that was crucified 
Now understand it was crucified and start acting like it. Start believing that it was crucified. Start understanding that it was crucified. And stop trying to do it in your own strength. It was, it's dead. Um, and so uh, once the, this man's faith grew stronger, um, he was asked, how is that grandfather in the bones doing? And he would reply, well, grandfather isn't dead yet, but he doesn't, he doesn't get around like he used to. <laughs> uh, well, hopefully this is true for you as well. And we're all on this process in this journey. And um, I just, it's my prayer that we find freedom in Christ. This is what the book of Galatians is all about. It's about freedom in Christ. So when we need to focus on Christ. And so um, this Wednesday is Ash Wednesday, uh, which means that if you're in an in a Anglican church, you would go to church and they would be uh, putting a, a cross on your forehead with ashes. Uh, symbolizing uh, death to self, really. And it's symbolizing a journey on which people go as they prepare for the death of Christ. So in uh, six weeks, it's going to be Easter. And so uh, for the, the, we're just done Galatians now, and we're going to be looking at the journey of, cross, uh, of Christ as he set his face like a flint towards Jerusalem. And so I want to invite you back for the, these, uh, the next six sermons and, and Sundays as we're going to be taking that journey with Christ to the cross. But I believe that journey starts here today with this communion uh, service. As we celebrate the cross, the horrible torture, torturing to death of Jesus Christ, and we celebrate that because it also buys our freedom. And our salvation. But what I want you to do as you participate of this communion, I would like you to participate in it with this understanding that when Christ died, you also died. That old man that desires the things of the world, he died then. And I want you to participate in this with the understanding that the world was crucified to you. It really doesn't hold any allure to the believer. And we need to, we need to do, as, as Paul says in Romans there, count ourselves dead to sin and alive to Christ. And so when you participate in this communion service, I, I would ask that you would do that, that you would join, that you would remember how you were joined with Christ on the cross and how you were crucified with Christ.